all missed hearing me say this. Are you ready? Hello, 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 my degenerate angels, and welcome back to season three of Tales of Taboo, your favorite or perhaps least favorite exploration of elusive subcultures, the road less traveled, and life on the wrong or misunderstood side of the tracks. This podcast is unlike anything else in this terribly oversaturated market because stories about these experiences are told through anonymous confessions from our listeners around the world who have actually lived through them. The show is not just meant to shock. It's a fearless but very heartfelt exploration of why we are afraid to be different and why certain people are seen as less human than others simply because of choices they make, especially when those choices often deliver the most meaningful life lessons. For those of you who are new here, or those of you who just want to hear me say it again because goddamn it's been a long time, my name is Allie Weiss. I'm a native New York performer, writer, and on-air host, And I am known for my big eyebrows, big opinions, and title as the reigning princess of taboo, thanks to my insatiable love of any and all topics, people, ideas, and experiences that, for whatever reason, are outside the bounds of what is considered socially acceptable. Thank you all so much from the bottom of my heart for being patient over the past few months while I was in hiatus creating this new season. Um, I know it's unusual for there to be large gaps of time in the release of podcasts that are a part of your routine, and please know I felt really anxious and crappy about it, but with full transparency, production of this show is hard. (laughs) There are so many moving parts, and there's a reason that it's unlike anything else you're accustomed to hearing weekly and why I'm constantly complaining to you all about how I'm burnt out. Like, mommy honestly really needed a break and to build a team around me that could help us all get to where we deserve to go. Like, I am Superwoman, obviously, but there are certain things that I need some help with. And On that note, I have an extremely special announcement to make, which is that Tales of Taboo is officially a forever dog podcast. 2018 me is, like, for lack of a better way of putting it, shitting a brick right now. When I originally entered the podcasting space with my old show, Forever Dog was the first network that I actively wanted to be on. And here we are, four years and thousands of hours of intensive work and self-doubt and rebrands later and failed meetings with obnoxious industry people later, and I made my dream a reality. Uh, As the elusive they say, it was truly a combination of hard work and good timing and luck. Because if it wasn't for all that experimentation and all that rebranding and multiple rounds of COVID quarantine where all I had was time to think, I I would not have come up with the Tales of Taboo concept. But, you know, I have to admit, I also met the right people and I positioned myself well. And I say this not to pat myself on the back, 
although I do deserve that, but because it's an important message for any of you who are building something from the ground up in any field alone and feel absolutely exhausted and defeated and like everyone else is doing so much better than you and that nothing is ever going to go anywhere. But you have to stick with it. Like it will pay off and you will find people who believe in you even if you're not at the level of having 500,000 followers or $500,000. Like there are people out there who are willing to invest in you at a lower level because you've created something unique and worthwhile to put out into the world. But anyway, all of this is simply to acknowledge how far I've come, which I don't do nearly often enough because I'm usually stuck in this like endless cycle of self-criticism. And more importantly, it's to acknowledge every single one of you who have either been listening to me since 2018 or who have joined somewhere along the way but literally none, and I mean none of this would be possible without your listenership and your stories and your support via buying merch and sending me beautiful, vulnerable messages on DM and email. Like, I'm trying to be better about swearing this season. If every season is an opportunity for growth, I am trying not to curse as much, but I fucking love each and every one of you. And I'm so honored that you feel safe with me, really. But I don't want to waste any more time because I've left you waiting for long enough. So we are kicking off season three by talking about the modeling industry. And here we go. Pretty privilege is real. It's really, 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 really real. Being beautiful inarguably makes it easier to move up in the world, or at least open the doors necessary to move up, however you interpret moving up. But being beautiful also comes with its own set of serious issues and vulnerabilities, especially if the beautiful person is looking to capitalize on that beauty within the modeling industry. and. Nobody is like really brave enough to talk about this besides um, like Emily Ratajkowski, who gets unfairly shit on for doing so. And this is a topic that we should talk about a lot because like the most serious issue is extreme dehumanization. Yes, the women that we're hearing from today chose to pursue a modeling career, but that's not really the point. Um, the questionable actions are within the fashion industry. And, you know, as with literally every other topic we explore on this show, society. So I did two episodes about the fashion industry last season and would encourage anybody listening to this to go back and listen so that you can get perspectives from multiple corners. Um, don't get me wrong. I love clothes. I love theatrics. I love escapism. I love that we can dress ourselves into the people that we want to be, but the ecosystem that produces fashion and the people who model that fashion in order to sell it, it's built around emotional and physical and financial exploitation. Like you can, of course, look at it from the other side, which is that a job is a job and work isn't meant to be fun all the time and a paycheck is a paycheck. 
And let's be frank, a body, here we go with the cursing again, but is just a motherfucking body. And that's all true. And I'm actually staunchly opposed to the over-policing of workplaces that happens in this day and age. Because, like, it's one thing to expect basic human decency and enforce protective boundaries between you and your boss, but it's another to expect things to be handed to you. That said, modeling, like sex work, sells bodies. Not stocks, not houses, not insurance, not legal counsel, not food and alcohol, but bodies. And when you're selling a body, which is, for better or worse, connected to someone's soul, there absolutely should be extra attention paid to respect and sensitivity. Not every model, including some of the models that we'll hear from today, takes criticism of their body to be a personal attack, which I support tremendously and I think is the correct outlook. But when a model's only source of income and stability, and therefore self-esteem, is connected to how many jobs they're booking, which is directly connected to that body, the soul can get really damaged. Do you follow what I'm saying? I know that was like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, but like hopefully you follow what I'm saying. Um, And in many ways, and I know this is a controversial statement, but welcome back to Tales of Taboo, bitches. It's easier to sell sex, like, like actual sex, than it is to sell sex appeal. The escorts and the sugar babies that I've spoken to in the past two seasons and the porn stars that you're going to hear from this season all have much more control over their images and much more of an ability to set personal boundaries than these models do or did. And yet, because fashion and beauty have been deemed classy and artistic and sex work is slutty, we disregard this surprising inequality between women who are fundamentally doing like a version of the exact same thing. I want to take a moment to sincerely thank Dumois for helping me cast this episode and two of our contributors, model and amazing musician Dana Dentata and former model, now agent Jane Belfry, for inspiring this community with their willingness to be on the record with their submissions, which is very exciting. And as always, guys, I welcome discussion about this nuanced topic. Um, If you agree, or if you staunchly disagree, I I do want to hear about it. So please send me an email at talesoftaboo at gmail.com, or send me a DM on Instagram at Allie Weissworld, or you can write a note and attach it to a pigeon's foot and try to figure out where I live. Um, don't do the third one, please. But it's important that you all know that all opinions and bodies are welcome here. And I welcome disagreement as much as I welcome agreement. That's not particularly eloquent. Anyway, now, without further ado, this is season three of Tales of Taboo. Hey, it's Dana. I started modeling when I was 14 and I'm 32 now. 
I signed to Elmer Olson Models in Toronto when I first started, and I was doing editorial and runway. I got into it because my family friends, they would always say to me, there's our model. And I was very tall and skinny, and I hated that they said that because I wanted to be Britney Spears, you know, a pop star, and I thought modeling was silly. But when my mom passed away at 14, they got me involved in it. And I think it was like, we got to do something with this kid. Like, I think this would be good for her. And over the years, I'd quit, but the agents would find me on the subway or the bus and they'd suck me back into it somehow. I've done so many various projects over the years. I've done Calvin Klein campaign. I just did the Yeezy Gap. I've worked with so many different brands, photographers, but the most life-changing of them all was when I started modeling for American Apparel. When Dove Charney found me and I was then all of a sudden on every single magazine and billboard and online ad and back of British Vogue. I was everywhere. And that took me out of the strip club in Toronto and put me in New York and L.A. And I was in the art scene and fashion scene and doing damn things. So then, you know, my whole world changed because of that. With the casting process, I found that as a young girl, I was always so dissociated and numb that it didn't affect me badly. I was so used to not having any control of my body either. And I was just super numb. In a way, that protected me from being hurt by all their critiquing and rejection because I was just numb to it all. The person I am today definitely feels more embarrassed and demoralized because it's like my old modeling past coming back to haunt me and remind me that I'm not shit. With body maintenance and, and the level of strict that it was, when I first started compared to now, it's not even existent now. Like when I first started, your hips had to be 35 inches. If you were even like a smidge over that, then they would tell you you weren't allowed to travel for work and you weren't allowed to work. You weren't, you weren't good enough. You had to fit those exact measurements. And I think that was really insane and stupid. But now what I think is bad is it seems now that like getting surgery to be marketable is more important. And like our bodies and faces have developed trends like the fashion seasons. And I think that's really dangerous and scary. So there's, there's a new evil now. It's a miracle to me that I never developed an eating disorder because every single agent I had told me I was fat. I looked like shit. When I was a young teen, they would constantly tell me to lose weight. Constantly, constantly. I'll never forget my booking agent trying to speak to me about losing like a little bit of inches off my hips when I was being sent alone to Milan at 16. He said, can't you just drink a lot of coffee? Another agent said, lose some weight for us, for God's sake, Dana. And then I went to go see this French agent. She came to Canada and I had to stand in my underwear while she circled around me. And she said I had a nice ass, but then she grabbed my inner thighs and said, but you're ruining your body with this. This ruins everything. Why would you do that? And she said, I'm going to have you come to Paris. I'm going to make your life a living hell and you'll barely be able to afford a croissant, so you'll lose the weight. And I went to band practice after that and just cried to my friends, and it felt so horrible, and I never went, and I'm so glad I didn't go. I experienced the 100 outfits a day catalog modeling stuff when I was in Korea for modeling, and that's when I realized how many hours these girls were putting in, how much work they were doing, and how little money they were seeing. Their agency would take 50%, and then your 50% would go to your expenses like rent, portfolio, flights, everything that they upcharge you for too because they own the apartment, but they're charging you crazy rent. So it's like all this bullshit where you're going to do a lot of work and not see a lot of money. And the one time I did it for the entire day, I found out at the end of the day, they'd be putting a Korean actress's face over my face. So that wasn't even going to be person in the pictures. And I wasn't going to see any of that money. So I realized it was pretty pointless.
I really do think that having to travel alone to all these different countries and navigate their different subway systems or forms of transportation and stuff and go to all these castings in a matter of like five hours, like by myself is definitely the reason why I'm so good with direction today and why it's so easy for me to figure out how to get around because I'm so used to navigating in different places. And I think it also made me really comfortable meeting new people and being around strangers because I would have to go alone as a child to like be with a group of adults who were going to touch my face and my body and like change my clothes for me for the whole day and collaborate with them and talk to them. And I think that made me really comfortable just socializing because I'm just so used to it. Fashion week slash month, it can be really brutal. And I think that's when the most people get taken advantage of. And even the biggest brands will do it. I recently had one of the biggest, most legendary brands in the world tell me they wanted me to walk in their show in Paris, but I need to find a place to stay out there because they can't afford it. This would have been like the highlight of my life, of my career, and supposed to be like the biggest deal in the entire world. Yet it's like, yeah, and you're going to have to pay for it. Like it's still happening. It's very prevalent and it's very, very bad. And you know, exposure before it was always about exposure. Now with Instagram, it's like, well, you get to post it on Instagram. I've been doing this for over 15 years. I don't know how much more exposure I need or can get. I'm about to overdose on exposure. Like, when will I just get paid for my work? Like, it's it's still a really bad part of the industry that people are getting taken advantage of with a lot. With social media, I've been signed to an agency since I was a child and the only actual modeling jobs I've ever gotten in my entire life were through Instagram, my Instagram directly with me or through meeting somebody in person. With Instagram, you have complete control over your output. And so I think that's why things started to work out for me better was because I, I didn't have these booking agents kind of gatekeeping, picking which photos were in my portfolio. And they always chose the absolute worst photos. I swear to God, it would always be like, why those? Why? And they'd be like, it has to be these. And it's like, you're destroying my career. <laughs> like they don't know what they're talking about. So I think it's a lot different now. But it also sucks now that they care more about followers and likes than who you are. To me, that's so disheartening because it's so vapid and doesn't mean anything. I've always been down for anything weird and crazy on a shoot. The only time I've ever turned anything down was Ryan McGinley's road trip series. That was the one thing that was too much for me because he takes a group of models on a road trip and you're completely nude in the bushes or the trees or the creek or whatever. And they're such gorgeous photos and he's such an incredible artist. But my friend had just done it and told me that she got actual bugs crawled in her vagina and she got scratches everywhere and all this. And I was like, that's where I draw the line. I don't want to risk getting bugs in my vagina. With sexually uncomfortable or traumatic situations, it was really interesting because I had been so over-sexualized and abused as a young girl that at that point in my life, in my early 20s, I developed this alter ego. And she was like this turbo sexual, aggressive, dominating, in control person. And I wanted to be so sexy and so comfortable with myself that it scared these men. And it was like, oh, you want me to be sexy as a child? Well, now I'm so sexy. What are you going to do about it? This alter ego, honestly, is what I think kept me safe through all my nude modeling with all the famous fashion photographer predators that I've worked with. Like, I was never once violated. And I think that persona I created protected me. Dove could be like, can I take my pee-pee out? And I'd be like, yeah, but I'll punch you in the fucking face if you do. And then it was like, 
<laughs> okay, no. And didn't do it. And it was like, you know, that kind of became dynamic. And I, I stayed in that sort of alter ego whenever I was doing that kind of stuff. But before I had that alter ego, one of my first test shoots as a 14-year-old girl, I had nobody with me. And the creepy photographer, older man, told me my panty line was showing through my dress, which it wasn't. It was a sheer loose dress, and there was no need for me to do that. And he was shooting at a low angle. And I was just such a baby at the time and so uncomfortable and naive. I had no idea what was going on. And now I look back and I'm like, he was 100% taking pictures in my vagina, and I was a 14-year-old girl. And my agency knew that happened, and they just said, you have to tell us next time and then continued to send models there. So I hope nothing's happened to anybody else, but I'm sure it has. There's a lot of men that try to see how far they can push you and they prefer to work with women that they can push and they know they can manipulate in certain ways. And I think that I've been very true to myself of I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to take that bait. And to be honest with you, I think it's closed more doors than I'll ever even know. So I don't know what to think about that, you know, but I think at least I still have my soul at the end of the day. When the models live in the co-ed apartment buildings and complexes and stuff like there I've definitely seen them all you know doing drugs and hooking up and stuff I personally never found male models attractive but I have been assaulted by a female model and a male model so there's that and that happened while I was traveling you know a female model assaulted me in my sleep when we had to get our work visas in Laos and then a male model from Australia tried to assault me when we were drunk swimming in a pool in our communal apartment building after a night out. But I don't have any good consensual stories for you because I never thought male models were hot. The most glamorous, luxurious thing I ever got to do was when I shot for Mary Claire Thailand. And I remember we went to this insanely gorgeous, exotic, all-inclusive resort, resort island. The restaurant was like they would fish underneath you and then... So they would get your dinner from directly underneath you in the ocean. It was fucking incredible and definitely a once in a lifetime experience as like a young girl on my own. That was really wild. My pinch me moment was definitely when I shot with Jurgen Teller for the Face magazine. This was only like two, three years ago. I was always crucified by my modeling agents for having a personality and being different, being in a band and they were always trying to make me less edgy and easier to consume and like dull my light and make me boring. So it never got me anywhere. And then once I was fully in control of myself and my body and got to just be myself, that's when I started attracting people and brands that my agent said I'd never experienced. So not only did I book the shoot myself, but when I walked in, there was a stripper pole and I asked them if I could play on it. And they said, of course, he got it for you because he got that he only wanted to shoot me in my own clothes doing what I like to do and being myself and that felt so surreal and special and I remember crying in his shower when I was washing the makeup off after the shoot because I felt like baby Dana was finally being told that I was good enough for being myself. I never slept with someone on my bucket list, but because of the modeling world, I was introduced to my number one bucket list person, and I got to talk to them over text and receive encouragement and support from them over the years, and that to me was actually so much better because there's someone who could have definitely taken advantage of me, and they chose not to, and they were supportive and a good person, and I love them even more now for that. It was very difficult with the modeling thing in high school because people assumed I thought I was hot and they would be like, I'm Dana, I'm a model. And I hated that because I didn't think 
that I was hot. I didn't think I was the shit. And I hated that other people thought that I thought that. So I developed this complex of trying to undermine myself, even as a singer that I am now, like, and a confident person in general. I was so embarrassed that I would just, like, try to minimize myself and not stand out and just, like, not have them think that I thought I was better than them because I hated that. The jealous, intimate nature that shoots can have. Actually, my current relationship, it's come up because, you know, I mean, he's new to my world, but I'm very comfortable showing my sexuality and being nude in my photos. And something I had to explain to him was that for me, I get my sexual empowerment from being in control of my body and empowering myself and doing it for myself. So when there's a guy shooting me, there's not like this, like, oh, yeah, he thinks I'm hot. This is so sexy. Like, it has nothing to do with him. He doesn't even exist to me or or whoever it is. They don't exist to me because that is when I am thriving in my empowerment and I am I am in control and I am empowered. And that fuels my sexuality is that safety and strength. And I think he understands that now because after everything I've been through, it's not as simple as like, oh, I just want this guy to think I'm hot from this photo. The photo is a lot deeper to me once you know like my history and everything I've been through. I've been told I have an expiration date my entire life. They, they told me when I was 15, like when you're 19, 20, it's going to be all over. It's going to be too late. You know, they, they only like them really young. And like, so I genuinely genuinely thought okay around 20 like this is gonna end something else is gonna happen I was always waiting for it to end and it just never ended so I don't know what the fuck they're talking about like I went to go see Scott Lips at one management when I was like 24 and he told me I was too old and that they were focusing more on like 15 16 year olds and that just doesn't make any sense to me like I also hear like you know women are done at 30 and it's like wait I just turned 30 and I just discovered who I am and and just started to feel good and started to feel healed and whole again. Like, how are you going to tell me it's over? And I refuse. And that's part of my driving force is to keep going is like, I think it's important to show that like, you don't have an expiration date. You're not spoiled at 30. Like, that's when you're just started to begin really living. And I refuse to let anybody tell me otherwise. I think the industry is a lot more safe and progressive and open-minded and inclusive than it ever was and it's nowhere near as shitty and terrible as it used to be but there's always problems but i think people have more of a voice now and it's not such a hidden unspoken thing anymore like it used to be i think the most valuable piece of advice that i could give anybody is you know reflecting on like my situation and my story like i was constantly being told to change myself and not be myself and listen to these agents and these booking agents telling me and giving me the direction because they know best and that never once ever worked out or made sense or was true. It wasn't until I started being myself completely and authentically in every way that anything good ever happened to me or I got any work at all. And they were always fucking wrong. Like, they made me cut my hair in this like weird short style that I hated because they were like, your personality's different, so you're going to look different. And it didn't make any sense. It just like they tried to change my style. They didn't want me to be in a band, like all this bullshit where it's like, that makes me an individual, you know? And now the world actually appreciates that, it seems like, with Instagram and stuff. So I think it's a lot better. But still, like anyone who's dealing with these booking agents and stuff, like 
Never, ever, ever, ever let these people steer you in a way that doesn't feel right in your gut. You have to stay true to yourself and listen to your heart and be yourself authentically. What feels good and right to you and makes you happy is what's right. Do not let these people tell you because they don't know what they're talking about. A lot of the times they're completely wrong. They were always wrong with me and they're projecting their own self-hate for themselves. People don't want to see other people thriving and being themselves and being happy and just know that and never let anybody make you into something that you're not or make you feel like you have to be something that you're not. So I've been modeling since I was a kid, but I've been seriously doing it for about the past seven years. Right now I'm signed with Select Miami, Contempo, Mexico City, and Arquette is my mother agent. Uh, the reason I don't have an LA agency is actually funny, which I can get into, but the agency that I was with, um, which I'll just say it, Bounty Models, stole a client from me that was a client that I got through my Instagram. And when I referred them to the agency, the agency told the client that I wasn't available and they replaced me with a model that they liked more, that they partied with and hung out with all the time. So right now I'm freelancing in LA. <laughs> I mostly do lifestyle and e-com, but I've booked a good amount of runway jobs because of my height. I'm 5'11 and my walk isn't like too bad from what I've heard. I started modeling when I was a kid, as I said. My first job was actually for Claire's. I gained my own interest in it eventually and thought using my height as an advantage was kind of cool. I've been like street scouted a few times when I was already working like as an adult as a model, which is always like a confidence boost when work is kind of slow. My level of success is hard to pinpoint because it ebbs and flows, honestly. Like I've been on major retailer websites and advertisements. I've had friends send me the advertisements they see me in, which is cool. And I did like a penthouse editorial and interview, which was probably one of the bigger things, even though you don't get paid for editorials. It was just kind of a big thing to see myself just in a whole spread like that. But I've also had some really long, slow months where I'm only working little social media jobs for like a couple hundred bucks or no jobs at all. And then I start to feel like I've plateaued. So it's really hard to pinpoint like my level of success, honestly. But when I'm having those slow times where I feel like I'm kind of going nowhere, I really just like the creativity of it. So like the love for shooting keeps me going. I have fun when I work. I mean, I get to like work with really interesting people. I like a lot of the people that I work with. It's kind of never the same day twice. So spending my own time doing just like a collaborative test shoot that where nobody gets paid just keeps it fresh for me. So adjusting to the casting process was pretty easy for me because I started when I was young, so I was aware of the feeling of rejection. But it kind of stops feeling like rejection after a certain point because you realize it's less about you and more about a certain image a bunch of marketing people are trying to cast for or maybe the client just liked a different model's vibe more, something that's entirely out of your control. But some castings can definitely be demoralizing, but it just hasn't happened a ton to me or maybe I just don't take it as personally. Like, Okay, I've been measured and whispered about at castings, but it never did a ton to my body image or self-image because I know that I'm healthy. I know that I'm in good shape. And if a client wants somebody much smaller than me, they should learn to stop calling models in for castings that don't fit the measurements they want and just stop wasting our time. My self-esteem did use to rest heavily on my ability to book jobs, though, mostly because I was trying to live off modeling fully at the time. So it kind of just stressed me out all the time when I wouldn't book jobs because it was like a financial thing. And then, of course, it starts to like you spiral with your thinking and you start to think that, you know, I'm not good enough and, and all that stuff. But now that I have a remote job and can live off that, I started to explore like other interests in life outside of just modeling. And I've been able to remove that negative thinking from the casting and booking process and just enjoy it more. 
So when it comes to maintaining my body, I think for me personally, it's like half genetics and half lifestyle. As I said, I'm 5'11", and I'm naturally athletic, but I'm also a 29-year-old woman with like a woman's body. So I definitely had to push myself much harder and eat cleaner was when I was on hormonal birth control. But once I got off of it and my hormones balanced out, I've been able to like enjoy myself a lot more. I don't have to like kill myself in the gym. I don't have to eat so clean. I don't weigh myself anymore and I just eat like pretty healthy and stay super active. I mean, I live in California, so it's easy to like always be doing activities outside, but I also do a good amount of Pilates. My goal is just to like keep my stomach flat and my butt in good shape, but I'm not like super worried about measurements anymore. I don't turn down like beer or food that I love in the name of modeling unless like I'm preparing for something super important like Miami Swim Week for instance because that's just like oh two whole weeks of like being on stage being in front of people in a bikini so I always just want to like keep it tight and keep the muscle visible for that but that's you know it's not like I'm depriving myself of food for something like that it just doesn't work that way like if you want to be in shape you need to have energy to work out and for me that just means eating like a nutritious balanced diet to fuel myself through workouts because sometimes the workouts are like two hours. So my involvement in the industry, weirdly enough, gave me a healthier relationship with food. I stopped modeling for a bit when I was in college to focus on school. And for some reason, I developed weird, like disordered eating that had nothing to do with modeling. I think it was just, you know, the 2011 to 2013 time frame where people were like obsessed with my fitness pal and like Tumblr and all that stuff was like affecting my underdeveloped brain, I guess. But when I graduated and started modeling again, I realized that you actually like have to eat food and eat healthy food to have energy to work an eight hour day on set and then have energy to work out afterwards. So it's kind of when I started taking better care of my body and learned actual information about nutrition and fitness instead of messed up pseudoscience. Some of the rudest things I've been told in the industry were to, quote, keep my abs and lose my ass and hips, which is insane because I have no chest at all, like no boobs. So what exactly did they want me to look like, a 14-year-old boy? I don't really get it. Another time I was working for Express and had a pretty uncomfortable day on set. As a reminder, I went to this Express casting and they loved me. I did a fitting, we tried the clothes on, and the shoot was the following week. So like nothing about my body changed in that time frame, right? So anyway, we're shooting for a couple days and they ordered Korean barbecue for lunch on the last day. I love Korean barbecue, but I was like, okay, I know this is gonna like mess my stomach up. So I just had a small portion because I just didn't want to like get gassy and be at work putting on clothes, doing e-com for four more hours. So I planned didn't work and unfortunately got like super bloated, had terrible stomach cramps. I felt like shit, but the clothes were still fitting fine. Like nothing was wrong. I just felt like I just wanted to like go lay down. I didn't feel good. So Whatever, at the end of the shoot, this random stylist walks over with a measuring tape and goes, let me measure you quick since you models are always lying about your measurements. And I was like, okay, first of all, it was your team who measured me at the casting. So where would I have had the chance to lie? Secondly, you're a fucking stylist. Like your job is to pin the clothes on the models and find matching shoes for an outfit. Like what say do you have in the matter? What stake do you have in this game? Like I think she just wanted to be a mean girl on set that day. And it was so unnecessary and random. So e-com is like a new circle of hell sometimes. It's what I've done the most of. And if your team sucks or isn't super lively to be around for eight hours a day, it's really the worst. Like the work itself is boring as it is. I mean, it's racks and racks of clothes, shooting front side back over and over again. It's so tedious and not creative or interesting in the slightest. But I have had some e-com clients that are the best because of the people that I get to work with. Like I used to work for Rue La La, which is called Guilt Group now, I think. But 
I'd work like four days straight every month and loved seeing those people. And they always had fun music playing. They would feed us well. We would have a good time on set. We would work hard, but everybody would always like make each other laugh. We had a good time. So it made the days go by faster. But I've also had e-com clients that were like completely dead silent the whole time or just like fidgeting with the clothes too much to the point where it makes me like sweaty like I'm standing here like a sweater and it's 80 degrees in this warehouse type of thing so you know I've had it both ways so I've only done a bit of runway modeling because of my height and like semi-decent walk I don't do fashion month or New York fashion week or anything like that because I just don't have like those super tiny measurements and I'm a little more of an athletic build so the closest thing I've ever done is Miami swim week which is always kind of a letdown for me because they end up booking huge influencers for most jobs and most of them I'm sorry they're not runway models they don't have the height they don't have the walk and they've never walked other runways so it's always just kind of a letdown for me and even like it's fun to be in Miami but the pay is such shit for those jobs it really isn't worth flying there for two weeks because you might book like one or two runway jobs for $200 before commissions taken out. So I really don't think it's as glamorous as it looks. It's mostly just crashing on a friend's couch or overpaying to be in an Airbnb and like running around in the 100 degree heat to castings just to wait in line for four hours. But I think the most fun part and like the glamorous part about Swim Week for me is the social aspect. Like I always meet really cool girls when I'm there. You know, we see each other in every casting. People are actually, for the most part, pretty sweet. Like They'll save spots for you in line or they'll relay information because swimming is really disorganized. So like one girl will hear, oh, we're actually going to be in this room for the casting and they'll relay the information to other girls so that no one's getting their time wasted. And like people are pretty friendly and there's cool like influencer and model gifting things with the brands. So I think that's the glamorous part that um, I would definitely say is worth it because it's a fun like kind of camaraderie, even though it's pretty miserable for everybody at the same time. <laughs> So since I mostly do lifestyle, I'm not really jealous of the girls with the big fashion careers. Like, yeah, it would be dope to walk for huge runways, but I just really want stability and repeat clients that keep me coming back and keep me busy. So social media plays a huge role in getting jobs, and I've definitely benefited from it, even though I have a modest following. As I said, it's a huge part of Miami Swim Week to have a you know big following. That's how you get booked. So it kind of makes me apprehensive about going again because I can't really compete next to a girl that has a million followers. But I, I understand. That's kind of how it is now. One of the craziest things I've ever done for a shoot was climbing up to onto train cars in downtown LA for my friend's fine art photography. And I also shot my penthouse editorial during like the worst food poisoning of my life. So I was just butt naked trying not to puke. It was not fun. When it comes to like sexually uncomfortable situations, I've only had it happen one time in Mexico City for a, an editorial. Basically, this guy, like he was told that I was not going to get naked. And then once I got there, he wanted me to get naked. And really, it just came down to me being like, no, I'm not doing this. And I just left. It really wasn't like a big dramatic thing. But he did try to get me to drink a drink that he made for me. And I was like, nope, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I didn't come from money. So modeling as a stable career really has never been an option for me because it takes a lot of money to make money in this industry especially when it comes to like international modeling since you're paying for everything up front in the hopes of booking work overseas so now that i've like found a remote job i feel like i have a better relationship with modeling because not everything is riding on it so now i can actually enjoy the work that i get and not stress so much when i don't book work it definitely makes me feel empowered and has enabled me to form like really awesome friendships with other women who have the same job as me. It's not like a massive part of my identity to be a model, but sometimes I can get like modest or shy when people who aren't in the industry ask me about it because I'm just like, I don't want to oversell myself. I really just do e-com. Like I'm not like a big deal, but 
I did used to feel like I had an expiration date when it came to my age with modeling. Like when I was 24 in Chicago, my agent, who has since been dropped, told me that I was too old to even consider modeling and I should just consider acting instead, which whatever that means. But I'm 29 now. I don't give a shit about my age anymore. I stopped getting Botox. I'm not trying to look 16. I just want to look like myself. And honestly, I do not think clients are as age obsessed as agents are. Like, I've never heard from a client anything about my age, but I've always heard weird comments from agents about it. So I have friends working in their late 30s. It really doesn't matter as much as we think it does. So overall, my feeling about the industry is pretty positive. However, I don't think it should be glamorized as much as it is. Like, I get really annoyed when people ask about modeling or joke about how they should model as if it's something you just like wake up on a random Tuesday and decide to do. It's not what people think it is. It takes so much work, resources, time, money, energy on a constant basis, and it still may not work out for you. Like it isn't a cute hobby you just pick up because you like getting your photo taken. So even though modeling hasn't brought me a ton of financial stability or fame or anything like that, I don't regret doing it one bit. I mean, I wouldn't have half the friendships I have today. I wouldn't have had the urge to move to LA and like, holy shit, with or without modeling, I love it here. I love California. I definitely wouldn't feel as fulfilled in life as I do without like the creative outlet that it provides. But my biggest piece of advice for someone who wants to get into modeling is to just ask themselves why they want to do it and ask themselves that a lot. Because, you know, if it's just to feel pretty and get your photo taken, like if that's the case, just buy a tripod, seriously. If it's because you want to be creative and crave doing something different every day and expose yourself to different people and maybe do some traveling, then hell yeah, get serious and put the work in because you might end up actually enjoying it. I never felt pretty growing up. I was pretty lanky. Looking back now, of course, I was a cute girl. I was like a tall, lanky, blonde chick, but it was definitely weird. I've always been into metal and alternative scene. And um, I also went to Catholic school my whole life. I mean, I got scouted in like dicky skateboarding pants and a Volcom t-shirt. Sometimes when the modeling industry sees you, they like you. But you know, in your hometown of Texas, they're like, that girl's going to be a model. Like just wasn't there. It wasn't only like three years in. I finally got a Facebook and then you like had the high school bullies who are like, hey, oh my God, you're modeling in New York. And I'm like, yeah, remember when you threw food at me? When I was in high school, my home life wasn't great, or at least in my 16-year-old brain, it wasn't great. And I had older friends who were trying to model in New York at the time. And I was like, looks like a great escape to me. So I went up there and like kind of gave the excuse to my parents that that's what I was trying to do because I had already been scouted in Texas once. And of course, being a tomboy, my mom was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yes, you're going to finally brush your hair and be a model. So it worked really well. And then when I got there, I didn't really model. I was definitely like more couch surfing and being a total degenerate. A year or so in, I got scouted again. And I was like, I should probably make money and travel. <laughs> so that's what I did. And so I finally signed to a New York agency and, you know, began the, the round starting off at Fashion Week because um, that's when you do before you hit puberty, but you're super tall, basically. So when I was a teenager, I don't think I ever thought that much about my body because I was a sports girl and I was always thin. Like it was never really an effort for me. And, you know, it's really changed over the last like 10 years for me with it, with the industry and also within myself. So when I started, it was fashion week. You're very aware that you need to be as skinny looking as you can. Because again, this is now over 10 years ago. And there would be fashion week castings where, you know, you have a lineup of, I don't even know, like 50 girls and they will measure you in front of everyone, like in Paris. And I remember being stressed about it. Not everyone watching me, just that I would like fit in the clothes because I wanted to book the show. 
I never had an issue really being naked um, or nude. I, I think it was just a different time. It was like free. It was freeing to not worry about your body in the modeling industry um, in terms of being naked, not in terms of like your size and, and your measurements. Those are always stressful. But, you know, in terms of nudity, that never bothered me because there was a sense of like, you can be nude. But no one cares and it's expected. Um, and so that was kind of nice. But, you know, things started to change when, you know, I got into my 20s and then all of a sudden I did have boobs and butt because I don't know what happened in my world. I hit puberty a second time or something. <laughs> but then I was no longer this fashion week grunge editorial type of girl. I had to switch it over to commercial modeling. And that really messed with my head. Measurements didn't matter as much to me. I could be basically whatever and it work. And I think it was just more stress because I, my personality didn't fit catalog. Your modeling is very up and down. So you'd hit these like highs where you're like, yeah, 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 everything's going. And then you go down and that's when the spin out happens. And you, there's no real way to deal with it other than try and force yourself to not think about it. Or what can I be doing differently? Or, you know, a lot of things that I would do is I'd be calling the agency. And I think a lot of girls do this and annoy them <laughs> and be like, what am I doing wrong? Why am I not getting booked? You know, I found that travel was a lot of my escape. When I wasn't feeling great, I would try and like book a trip, which probably wasn't a great thing to do. So I'm just escaping the problem rather than dealing with it. I mean, self-esteem was really tied to getting booked or not in modeling because it's all I've ever known. It's like getting a hit. It's like being an addict and like getting a hit and then not getting that high. And you're kind of going, where do I get this again? Or when's going to be the next thing? And you start like panicking of like, when's your next job? When's your next gig? And that, you know valley you know after the peaks is is the tough place to be and i am super hyper aware of it now thank god because now i can like recognize it like it will go back up loneliness is the number one factor of modeling i mean you can't get into modeling and not be lonely um thankfully i was like kind of always a solitary person um and i liked that but i'm also a serial relationshiper like i'm constantly in a relationship and I think a lot of models are. And I think that it also holds them back a lot when they meet someone in a certain country, but they need to move on because they're not working well there. So then they stay in this relationship and their career goes by the wayside. I know that because I've done this a few times. Or vice versa, you know, or they meet someone for a little bit and then they, models have that reputation of just like having boyfriends, like, you know, everywhere, then breaking up quickly and moving on to the next one. It's because we have to move from modeling, but, you know, we want that person. I have gotten into relationships quicker than I think I should because I've been in places where I just want that one person and you click and um, you just want to feel like you have a buddy. And a lot of times you feel like if imposter syndrome gets, you know, thrown around a lot because you're one person on set and then you leave set and you're just kind of like, because you do this song and dance every time you show up to set because it's not like a normal job where you see the same people in your office every day and you kind of can continue conversations or someone's like, oh, how's your kid, how was your dinner that you went with your boyfriend last week? Or, you know, how was Christmas with your family? You're constantly with new people and doing this like, hey, I'm such and such. La, 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 la. Like every time you, it's just the same. And so you kind of feel like you're putting on this personality. And while you're there, you feel great. Or at least I do. Like I love being on set and I'm interacting and then I leave and I'm like, now I have to deal with the rest of my life that I just put on hold, you know, to be on, on set. There is a big part of my life where I never used to tell people I was a model if I met them out. A lot of my friends aren't in the industry and I would go into parties and they think it would they would think it's hilarious when we're all going around introducing ourselves and then they're like, oh, what do you do for a living? And I wouldn't I would make something else or I would like stutter and be like, ah, I would make like a joke about it and then be like, I'm a model. Um, and you, it's just always weird because people have a different way of reacting to it. 
either they, they get the big wide eye like, oh, wow. Or they say like, who have you worked for? And I'm just like, I don't want to go down this journey because you probably, you probably don't even know half the people that I worked for. If I'm not in like a Dillard's catalog to you and you're bumfuck town, then you don't know what I've done. <laughs> like, and so it can make the conversation definitely weird. And I definitely hit it um, a lot of the times. And then another part of it is I never will, don't think I'll ever go on a dating app or ever will because I don't know how to hide you're a model on there and people just wanting to swipe because they think that you're pretty and can see like just your hot pictures online. Because again, when I've been single and my friends have, you know, posting when you're out, you know, stories and whatnot, you know, they'll get DMs be like, ooh, who's your friend? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like, and my friends also would make jokes and they think it's hilarious. Like, yeah, you think she's hot, but wait till you meet her in person. Like, it's not the same. It doesn't match up. The idea of expiration in a model's mind is there from the moment you become a model. It's whether you're getting older or not. And, you know, I did go to college online because, one, I wanted something to do with my free time. Two, my parents kind of, like, gave me an ultimatum. <laughs> We're like, if you want this lifestyle um, at 18 or whatever it was, you have to continue school. So I did continue college online, and I went to school for um, sports nutrition and dietetics. And I swore that when I graduated, I was going to be going to graduate school because it's actually um, a form of a medical degree. Um, so I'd have to have gone to graduate school. And I thought that modeling were for sure going to be done by then, what, 24, 25? Modeling at that time was not lasting much longer than that because Instagram wasn't really around. And this idea of like wanting more mature and, um, you know, cool with themselves, personality-wise, comfortable themselves, models wasn't in the picture, at least in my brain. So I thought it was going to be done. And then when modeling really hit bigger at like 26, I was like, oh, shit. So that was an interesting kind of factor. I was like, OK, cool. We're good for a while. But then it's like every year is kind of that like, is it, I'm still going to make money next year? Am I going to still do this? So, yes, I call it the impending doom of modeling ending. And what am I going to do afterwards? I just kind of have to always remind myself that my network is broad enough now where if things really did shit the bed. I could go to a friend and say, can I be your assistant? Like, can I, what do you need me to do? I think, you know, you'll just have to get with the hustle at that point. Uh, so we'll see. Again, all that has to kind of like come with the right timing and stuff. But I think when I'm starting to freak out about the career, which is all the time, you know, post-modeling, is I have to remind myself that there's plenty of opportunities. And if I have to go live with my fucking parents, which I doubt will ever happen. I've couch surfed before at 16. I'm sure I can couch surf at 35 if it comes up to it. It would be like a 90s like teen movie, except like 35, you're couch surfing. I'll figure it out. And honestly, talking with people about it helps a lot. When you sit there and you bottle it up, and it freaks you out more. If I call a girlfriend, and I'm like, oh, spitting out bad right now. What are we going to do in the future? And you just kind of start spitballing brains from you. Like, there are options. There are things we can do. There are friends who want to do stuff with you. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky one, though. My name is Jane Belfry. I'm the founder and agency director at Between Management. I've been in the modeling industry for many years, first as a model when I was a kid, uh, then through working for a mother agency in Minneapolis called Vision. Uh, did some modeling here and there, but was never typical height or size or shape. I started my agency between in 2018 as an answer to that to represent people as they are. 
I saw a huge disconnect in what agencies were presenting and what changes we were starting to see in advertising and saw an opportunity to champion some people I'd been working with that didn't have agency representation. Being that we're a body diverse agency with no height, size, shape requirements, we're not having the outdated conversations about models uh, losing weight or, quote, toning up or tightening up, surgically enhancing themselves, which uh, happens in curve modeling, too. Uh, changing their appearance. Uh, those conversations are really rampant. You know, people view curve modeling as more inclusive, but in in many ways, it's just setting another unattainable beauty standard. Um, you'd be shocked at how many agents will boast about their diverse board or their <laughs> huge curve initiatives and yet expect models to maintain a flat stomach or perfect hourglass shape or get breast implants or cool sculpting um, and have no visibly fat features like slim jawlines, faces, arms. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty insane, to be honest. Um, we're only privy to those conversations on rare occasion, considering the type of agency that we are. And it feels like much of the industry will still only accept a really commercialized, palatable version of whatever they think curve or plus or diversity is in general. I also think forcing curve models into the body positivity role model thing isn't right. Um, existing in anybody has challenges and people who are plus size should not be forced to constantly discuss their relationship with their body unless they want to. When I started in the industry, I was severely, severely unhealthy and restricting my food intake um, and having that around me constantly was not great. I remember one of the first models I worked with coming back from signing in New York and abroad and she was essentially her, her body was shutting down. She was pale and shivering on set and her frame was teeny tiny and she was rejected by a major agency for her hip measurement being too large by an inch or two. Um, and to see such a supercharged version of what so many young people go through was really horrid. It's always good to be on the side of an industry where we don't have to have those conversations or enforce those standards, but there's still plenty of disorder all around. And I think right now that can look like orthorexia and like obsessive clean eating and the harmful parts of like, quote, wellness culture, but it's, it's all still there. At Major big network agencies in New York and Paris, I, I used to hear old school agents discuss the bodies and faces of models, and it pretty much always made me want to die. Um, I don't really know where to start, but uh, advising that models who coke, Adderall, smoke, consume appetite suppressants and diet pills was not uncommon practice. Um, we're definitely in a time right now of tokenization and fetishization of curve models and POC models, especially curve POC models. Um, they're given these like specialty campaigns, but it's hard to get the regular consistent money jobs in the same way that white then commercial models can access. I think there's still an othering and commodification aspect to bookings, and there's really never been a more saturated market with a lower barrier to entry, which is incredible. But these models who are working hard and viable for many jobs, they just like to see more expansion in terms of what, what they have access to um, and what body shapes and sizes are booked for like regular e-com work or just those consistent money jobs and not just used as as a one-time face of a of a campaign to send a certain message just you know book them for regular modeling work as well um, it's hard to say whether fashion is making a concerted effort toward diversity to be honest fashion is still performative there are a few people that are let in every season but there aren't huge strides 
being made in terms of who we consistently see walking runways or doing major fashion house campaigns. Fashion also in terms of pay is ridiculously inaccessible and behind. Runway pays nothing, um, very little or trade and product. Young models are expected to pay their own travel or go into serious debt to their agency to travel for weeks at a time, weeks of castings, all to maybe do like one or two shows, uh, maybe not even be recognizable in that show. They could be wearing insane makeup or something covering their face um, and get paid practically nothing. It's still a very gate-kept industry with huge rate discrepancies. A conversation that comes up for us a lot is the treatment of models with natural textured hair, and models are expected to do their own hair at a huge cost to them prior to getting on set and do it in a certain way per a client's requests. And many agents are trying to set some standards and practices around this, like reimbursement. And yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Also, our trans and non-binary talent are still experiencing misgendering and kind of unpreparedness on sets and, you know, not having the same access to clothing, footwear, undergarments, or even like on-set robes and slippers in the right size for plus-size talent just seems like a huge afterthought overall. Um, with all of this, I, I do still feel like it's an exciting time for the industry, and I, I feel hopeful about change being made in most areas. Uh, I think modeling is still a very glamorized career path and should be taken seriously. As a tough freelance occupation, you face tons of rejection. You have to invest a lot of time, money, and energy into yourself and you know, in the way you would with any career. If you're looking for validation, it is not the place to get it at all. You've got to have really thick skin and a lot of endurance. Um, but if you're willing to put the work in, it can be an incredible, expressive, creative, and lucrative job. I've been signed since I was 14. I got scouted at a One Direction concert. At first, I was like, mm, this seems fake. And then she gave me her business card, and I was like, okay, shit, this is for real. I've always wanted to be a model, I think, just because I really... It was the only kind of peep, like, it was the only kind of, like, body type that I saw myself in and it, like, excelling. And I also, like, see that that's such a, that it, there was only just my body type. So that's what really gravitated for me just because I wanted something that I was a little bit insecure about and, like, I could flip. It validated me for being my weight, I think, always, and that is a blessing and a curse that this industry did for me. <laughs> I've been signed with Hefner in Seattle as my mother agency. Been signed with two agencies here in New York, most recently being One Management. Signed with two agencies in LA, most recent Genetics. And then I've been signed in Europe and it being Women Milano, which I lived for about on and off for two years when I was... 17, I left for the summer and I got placed there. And that was my eye opening into like the fashion game and what this is about because my past jobs being in Seattle, I was really just doing e commerce, which was amazing. But it was Nordstrom and Nike, which were cool jobs. But it was also, this was a totally different game. I would go castings every day or as working a job every day or as test shooting. For my body, it's all genetics, really. And I think everyone can agree, like, your body type, that's just, like, some days, like, you feel this is your natural weight. And you look back at a couple of years, you're like, okay, I feel like a much healthier weight in this sense. I know modeling can put a strain on that balance. And I've had 
agents ask me, what are you eating? Oh, then this just must be water weight. Don't worry about it. You can't put too much pressure because then once you put pressure, it'll just snap. I've been modeling for nine years now. My experience, I've mostly been e-commerce lifestyle, which I really love. I don't know. I love showroom. I love being fit model because that's that's part of modeling. You have to show the clothes and how the designer wants them to be seen. And it just feels like it's part of the game. I don't think it's any less than any part of the modeling enterprise. I think it's just as important and it's a lot, it's good money. So why would I think it's less than, you know, and for others to be like, whatever. I have done runways before, more in Europe. I really love them. I think it's such an energy backstage. I've had some weird things in runways. I remember I was like 15. We didn't, we weren't really in like, I get runway, you, you, everyone's just flying clothes, but it, there were a lot of people that were allowed backstage that I didn't think were appropriate. Like it just gets weird. A big part of the modeling experience that I don't think is talked about enough is promoters. I never knew about promoters getting into it. Uh, the first experience I ever had with them was when I was in Europe. And my agent at the time told me, oh, be careful. These men are going to be outside your castings and they want you to come party with them and stuff. And she's like, don't do it. You'll miss your casting. You won't go to work, blah, blah, blah. Lo and behold, I get lost and I'm trying to find my way to the casting. And this gorgeous, seemingly Italian boy helps me find my casting. We're just chatting and I'm talking to some other girls who end up coming. And it was, I was also just so new. I need, I wanted friends. I needed friends. I, I didn't know anyone in this country. It was so it was part of that experience too. And lo and behold, they were promoters. I had no idea that they would be young men. I envisioned like old weirdos. <laughs> so that was kind of my fault. But some promoters are really gross. Some promoters are really great. My first friend, like most of my first friends come from promoters and they're a great way to like introduce yourself to the city. Like when I first got to New York, first friend was a promoter. When you're going out with these people, they need to protect you. So you don't go out with people you don't feel safe with. You can meet a lot of cool people through these guys, which I have gone on like trips and like cool concerts and met a bunch of people, which is like, that's really awesome for that part of my lifestyle because I wouldn't have had access necessarily before. One trip I went to, I went to Mykonos. And I went with a girl that I like kind of just met, but she went, she was from America, which in Europe, that was hard to get met. So it was kind of nice for someone to like kind of remind me of home. But we got to Mykonos with the promoter I knew for about two years too. So I felt safe and comfortable. And we get to Mykonos and it's this gorgeous mansion. It was actually the same mansion that I think was like in Keeping Up the Kardashians years ago. Later on, we get our bedroom. So me and my friend are staying together, who I just met. And later I meet at dinner. It's like this, there's a client, which a client is someone who like comes to dinner sometimes and pays the bill or pays the bill at the club or promoters like bring them for the money. Things got weird, like orgies taking place that I was not braced for. And the guy like groped me and it's just like so weird shit. And I did put myself in that situation and I do regret because that was a beautiful trip. And like, it was so gorgeous, and I I honestly can't imagine having this trip another lifetime, going on jets and meeting all these people. It was, it was really fun, and it was a nice vacation from working so much. Modeling is crazy. You work 12-hour days, but you'll make a grand after that day, which is a great check. And I don't know, as glamorous that is, it is as it's pretty hard. It's hard work. So you got to keep yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally all 
together and make sure that this is something that you still work for and still want and is working for you? I have been modeling for 20 years. Well, I stopped modeling in 2020, actually. I don't want to say the exact agencies I was signed with, but I was signed in Texas, LA, New York, Milan, and I was signed on and off in London. I primarily did editorial and runway, but I did do some e-com stuff on the side, like for Hot Topic and brands like Hot Topic. What really led me into the world of modeling was my mom was a model for about 20 years as well. It started out with just some like little jobs here and there. And then eventually I was signed pretty young. And my parents were pretty hesitant at first because my mother, even though she loved modeling, was very aware of how toxic it could be. I kind of did it on and off because my weight fluctuated throughout my adolescence, like all kids do. But, you know, sometimes it was a good weight for modeling. And then other times it didn't really work. When I was a child, I did a lot more commercial-based stuff. And then as I got older, went more into the world of runway and editorial. That being said, in high school, as I was modeling, I was still pretty bullied and stuff, so I never really used it to prove anything to myself. Um, it was more like I, I knew that it was cool looking weird and stuff, and that's what I enjoyed about it. And I grew up in Texas, so, you know, not a lot of people cared about modeling in general, to be real. I never reached the level of success I wanted to. You know, I was able to travel all the all over the world, do s some campaigns, but I mostly was stuck in the editorial runway world, which is kind of hard to move up in, especially if your body type is not naturally built for that. And I worked really, really hard to maintain a very unnatural body type in order to be able to do those things. And really in 2020, what made me decide to stop modeling was not having much success after 20 years and realizing that I had done a lot of damage to my body in order to try to be successful. I realized it wasn't fitting anymore and I was no longer going to try to make it fit. For the casting process, I found I fell into it very early. Again, like I was five years old when I started, so it was very natural to me. Rejection was very normalized. Um, I didn't take it to heart all the time because you really can't. That being said, you know, getting judged based on your appearance is really difficult, especially, like I said, as someone who was constantly having to work to maintain a body type that was unnatural. A lot of the times, you know, I had people commenting on things that I was working really hard at and, you know, could only do so much of, lose so much weight before there's no more weight left to lose. So stuff like that was really hard to deal with, um, especially because you can't just tell someone that you've been working so hard to maintain your body. But I did find it to be hurtful at times. But again, that being said, I didn't really have too much of my self-worth in modeling. A lot of effort went into maintaining my body type. Um, I would get laser lipo. I would get laser hair removal, filler, Botox, all this stuff. And of course, my agencies never wanted me to talk about any of that, which was very hard for me because I'm an open book. And I thought that you should be honest with how you're getting your body to look that way. I have to say that the diet was, you know, not eating. The working out was working out, doing high intensity cardio for two hours and then dipping regular cardio for an hour a day. So I was usually working out like three to four hours every single day and then eating about less than two or 1200 calories a day. 
my involvement in the industry definitely fostered an eating disorder. It's something that in 2020, I decided when I was hospitalized for COVID, something that I need to take seriously. Um, I've been in an eating recovery center numerous times, and it definitely exasperated eating, especially when, like I said, you're having to work so hard already to just maintain a body type that is so far off from your natural body type. I had a woman, an owner of an agency, a big agency when I was 13, tell me that I was the most obese 13-year-old she had ever seen. I've had numerous agents call me skinny fat, which skinny fat refers to when your stomach is distended from starving yourself, but everything else is thin. I've also had people just tell me, oh, you should do this or, you know, Botox here or there, you know, just off-the-cuff comments about weight and appearance. Once I told my agent that I didn't want to model anymore because I wasn't thin enough, she told me to just start obsessively eating hamburgers and that that would fix the problem because then I could be a curve model. <laughs> In terms of editorial and runway, it is the least paid unless you're like a big celebrity. In terms of favoritism and agencies, definitely. I always told people you want to be your agent's best friend if you want to get new bookings. And that has been the truth for every agency I've been in. Traveling was really rough for me. Um, I really liked it. But a lot of the times, it's not like you have any money. You're usually packed into a model apartment with several other women in like a two-bedroom apartment. It's usually disgusting and just unsanitary. Um I always hoped that when I reached a certain level of success that the traveling for modeling would get better. But even when I had higher paid jobs, uh, I still found it to be very gross, but also just very lonely too, um, especially when you're the only English speaking person with like eight Russian roommates. It can be very um, lonely. In terms of fashion month, it is, again, similar to traveling as a model. Not glamorous at all, unless you're Kendall Jenner or Bella Hadid or Gigi Hadid. The casting progress is pretty rigorous. A lot of the times you are waiting outside of casting calls for like hours only to get a no or sorry, like that's not the look we're looking for. The pay is horrible. I mean, I think usually doing fashion month, I end up losing more money than I did making money, especially when your agencies are charging you for room and board, food, all these things. It's almost like a credit card where you think everything is taken care of and then you ask for your check and you find out you didn't make anything because all your jobs amounted to the amount of debt that you had while staying in that place to do fashion month. I wish people were aware that unlike Kendall Jenner, you don't get to pick and choose which shows you do and get paid thousands of dollars for doing it. I think it's really important to understand that a lot of these girls will do so many shows just so that they can come out slightly ahead. And when I say slightly ahead, I mean maybe making a thousand to $2,000 from Fashion Month. Some glamorous things as a model, you know, getting to, you know, shoot in really amazing locations. Um, you know, I loved working in Milan, doing a lot of just beautiful, beautiful shoots and just breathtaking places that you wouldn't even imagine. Having the label of the model, I would say that it definitely is empowering to a certain degree, but also... I think it holds a lot of negative connotations as well. Sometimes I don't like to identify that way because I feel that a lot of people immediately think you're stupid or that you only care about your looks. In terms of having an expiration date, I definitely did feel like that. 
In terms of how I feel about the industry, I think it's a very toxic work environment. I think people do need to open their eyes to the reality of modeling and that it is not glamorous and that a lot of the times it is predatory and, you know, it's going after poor boys and girls and, you know, getting them caught up in the system of credit with agencies. And I just, I think it's a very, very insidious agency, uh, insidious career and industry. It's not something I would ever recommend to people. I actually quit my model coaching job because I started to feel disgusting about trying to get people into the industry knowing everything that I had known. I would definitely say a really valuable piece of advice is, you know, just always be aware of your surroundings. There's a lot of predators in this industry and, you know, bringing a friend, a parent, partner to shoot, just making sure that you know who you're working with. It's really, really crucial for that. And then I would also caution, don't just shoot with anyone off of Instagram. You know, a lot of these predatory photographers will reach out to young girls and ask them to shoot. And I've just never seen this end well. So if you ever shoot with a random person, please get references. I really did get burned out with modeling. And that's why in 2020, when everything came to a head, I just decided that it, I had to close the door on that. I recently started styling and I feel like I'm on a path in conjunction with modeling, but just giving more freedom of what you want to do and also your appearance as well. And having freedom of appearance is really, really nice to have. Being able to cut your hair when you want to without asking, being able to give a tattoo without asking someone. The freedom is incredibly nice. Once again, my degenerate angels, I'm Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. Congratulations on surviving another trip into the underworld, and make sure to collect your souvenir photo on the way out. Just kidding. There is no souvenir photo, but there is merch on my website, www.allieweissworld.com. We've got the cutest sweatshirts and G-strings ready to cover your body in love. But if you're pinching your pennies but still want to support, the most helpful thing you can do is leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. I know all hosts ask for this and it's high key annoying, but in my case, the more reviews the show has, the easier it is for new listeners to find the show and become future anonymous contributors, which means more entertainment and powerful life lessons for you. Also, please tell a friend and an enemy about this episode if you think it will resonate with them, because word of mouth marketing means I won't have to do something that will embarrass you all, like participating in an Instagram giveaway. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed your hour with me, and I look so forward to seeing and hearing from you next week. Until then, be good. Follow Tales of Taboo on TikTok at Tales of Taboo and on Instagram at Tales of Taboo Pod. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Allie Weiss World. Tales of Taboo is part of the Eve Podcast Network and a Forever Dog production. Produced and narrated by Allie Weiss. Edited by Isabel McMahon. Executive produced by Mariah Nicholas. Intro by Chris Stathopoulos. Forever Dog Productions is Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm.